Welcome to No Time to Waste, the podcast that inspires and motivates us to maximize our moments. I'm your host, Allison Haddon. I'm battling terminal cancer, but I'm focused on living my best life as my best self every day. Join me as I chat with resilient adventurers, seekers, trailblazers, and exceptionally good humans as we explore what it means to live fully because there's no time to waste for all of us. Okay, if you thought Chelsea Handler was a big name on the pod last week, get ready for this one. It's Francis, yes, Francis McGill Haddon, otherwise known as my dad. Now, this was not a case of me just wanting to start rounding up family members and friends to like hang out and call it a podcast. I genuinely believe my dad embodies much of what No Time to Waste is all about. You know, I've witnessed his zest for life, his wanderlust, and his evolution as a self-aware human and realized only in recent years how much I actually take after him. Hear about his nonlinear life path, how we are a horse family, just not in the traditional sense, and why my dad sees heartbreak as the price to pay for big love. It's Frank Haddon, my dad, for No Time to Waste. Introduce yourself. What's uh, what's your full? What's your name? Well, my name is Dad. Uh, depending on the oh, the spoiler, you blew it. <laughs> it's formally Francis McGill Haddon. Yep. Also known as, as he just uh, shared, my dad. Yep, that's right. I don't want to. I don't want to interview my dad. I want to interview Frank Haddon who is a 69-year-old, right, with a non-linear career path that went, and we'll talk about it, but it went from, you know, flower shop delivery truck driver to attorney, to, to park ranger, to attorney, to therapist, which we'll get into. Um, I'd like to talk about your kind of no time to waste spirit when it comes to your pursuit and curiosity around hobbies, which we will get into, includes aspiring cowboy, horse rescuer, and also a church guy. I don't even know how you how, how we frame that. Um, and then I want to talk lastly about stuff that I don't think you and I have ever talked about. How does that sound? You're, you're making a face at me already. Wow! No, I'm, I, I'm, it's it's kind of an interesting uh, package you just handed me I there did. with a lot of different topics. I know you can't prep. Yeah, you can't prep. No, it's, hey, it's uh, you're talking about my life. Uh, I'm not sure I need to prep. I kind of I've kind of been there. You had a front row seat in your life, right? And all of these things that I want to dive into, or is basically because it in in your own way. Like you, to me, as an outsider, trying to be objective, independent of you being my dad, if I feel like I met you at like the park and you just like threw out a couple things and were just like, well, that was when I was a park ranger and I was scuba diving in the back bay of Boston to, and I'd be like, what? And you're like, well, no, that was when uh, I uh, went to that horse auction and ended up bidding on a horse that was like going to the sausage factory. And I nursed her back to health over the course of a couple of years and turned her into a stallion. Um, you know, or no, that was when I was sneaking around my law firm, uh, getting my master's in uh, family therapy, unbeknownst to the partners. And I 
basically jerry-rigged a like plant in front of the window of my office so that people wouldn't see when I was gone. Like if you told me these (laughs) things at the dog park, I would be like, I would like to talk to you a bit more and learn more about this crazy past. So. Well, I come by some of that, that those responses, honestly, I think you have to remember that as a dad, I mean, there were times when you're not my dad in this dad, you're not my dad. You're Frank. Well, that's true. Thank you. Got Thank it. you. You're my. You're not my dad. I'm back. So stop being my dad. Uh, don't you know? Like, be cool. Be cool is basically what I'm okay. saying. Okay. So your first job out of school was what? Tell me about the flower delivery. What was that? Well, I have. You have to back up a little bit. Uh, the first job out of school really doesn't uh, tell the story. I went to after high school. I was one of those kids who shouldn't have gone to college anyway, right away, but I did uh, because there was that expectation. But I only lasted two years. And then when I left there uh, after two years, I began to go to night school uh, because there was still a draft on and I needed a student deferment. So you were a draft dodger. Well, I wasn't a draft dodger. I was like a lot of kids in the in the U.S. I didn't want to go to Vietnam. Right. Uh, and I wasn't uh, going to run to Canada, which some people did. Uh, I wasn't. A, I wasn't a conscientious objector. So yeah, no, I wanted to keep my deferment. I didn't want to go. Fight. I would have gone to Canada personally. I love Canada. So well, some people did. Um, but uh, in any event, I took on. I was going to night school uh, because my grades were so poor. I couldn't get into day school uh, back here in Philadelphia. So I just took a variety of jobs. It didn't really matter. They weren't serious. So hold on. Why were your grades so bad? Because you are not a dumb person. No, but I, I didn't know that at the time, but it had nothing to do with smarts. I, as I told you, I, I, was, I, I didn't have any business going to college right out of high school. I was totally unprepared uh, to live on my own, to make independent decisions. Uh, I was just a, kind of full of confusion, and I was kind of a sensitive, anxious kid. Uh, I needed some time to kind of uh, get my feet on the ground before I took on college, and I just wasn't ready for it. So I stayed for two years. Uh, I, I left before they invited me to leave. <laughs> My grades were not very good. Um, and um, so, but, so I took a variety of jobs that really didn't mean much to me. So I kicked around a lot. So the first real meaningful job for me in terms of career uh, wasn't the truck driving job, um, but that was the park service. And that, that, was, that actually flowed from an interest in national parks and just being outdoors uh, because before I got that job, uh, I had spent a summer two years before then uh, traveling around the country with a friend of mine for a couple of months. Hold on. You make it sound traveling well, around the country. Well, How did you get around, Dad, from, from national park to national park? This was the early 70s. We hitchhiked. In those days, I mean, I can remember us being kind of nervous when we started out and being prepared to defend ourselves if we needed to. Within three days, we gave up all those kind of thoughts. We had people that would see us leaving one ride at an exit on a highway going across country and cars would see us unloading our packs from one car and they would pull over and wait for us. That That's like baffling to me that you literally traveled around the country without a car. We did. It was great. It was, it was, a, it was just a wonderful experience. The only difficult time I had was when I we separated at the end of a couple of months. My friend came back from the, uh, the west uh, by a northern route, and I came back through a southern route. And when I was down south, because of my appearance, I, I got I, I had some nervous episodes with kids trying to harass okay, me. Okay, whoa, hold on. Like that. Based on your appearance, what? Well, lo- what are you talking about? 
Early 70s, long hair. Long, how long is long? Uh, shoulder length. Ooh. Okay. Was that normal? Uh, it wasn't unusual. Depends on the circle. Obviously, the circles I was, tr- well, the, the circles I was in down south, it was not normal. Uh-oh. So what did they think of you down south? Like, what did they think of that haircut? Or lack I, of haircut? Well, there were people that just wouldn't talk to you. I walked into a store to try to get something to eat and wouldn't get served. Uh, kids would go by in a, in a car and, and harass you and then come back and try to find you later. I'm just trying to picture you with like hair down to your, did you tuck <laughs> your hair behind your ears? Uh, no. You just no, like let it, came, it be in your face? Well, it was, it was basically an overgrown haircut. It covered my ears and just kind of kept going. I mean, it was still shaped. It wasn't like it was wild or, or out of control. Um, but it was, it was the same hairstyle I have now, just a lot. Oh longer. my gosh, dad, you have like, I mean, you do have hair, but you know, I do. Not, you know, yeah. Okay. This is sorry. I, sorry for anybody <laughs> listening. Like I'm just kind of wrapping my head around this whole thing. Um, okay. So basically like, let's call it like it is like you were a hippie for sure. I was a hippie wannabe. A wannabe. Why were you not a real hippie? Because the way you did the long hair, the hitchhiking, the like, you know, peace and love, the timing, the draft. That sounds like hippie to me. Why were you wannabe hippie? Well, I, I, the, the drugs, I was not real competent or good with drugs. Um, drugs became scary to me. Okay. Um, I, I wasn't really plugged into a lot of the music. Um, I wasn't uh, a much of a joiner. I wasn't an activist. I wasn't protesting against the war or anything like that. So it was more a matter of just that was what the popular thing was. And it was kind of appealing in some ways. But yeah, I wasn't really committed to it. Yeah. Okay. But I, yeah, so it was more the hair than anything else. <laughs> okay. All right. So so we go from there. And then how did we get into the park service? We got into the park service because while I was driving the truck, I had a downtown run at one point uh, for the flowers, for the wholesalers. And uh I saw guys in uniform and talked to them about how do you get a job like this? How long did you end up with the park service in total? Well, I did a year of temporary and then I spent four years in a permanent position. Okay. So and like doing, five years. Yes, did five okay. Years. So you did five yeah. years with the park service. Then mom gets pregnant with me and basically is like, you need to get your act together and you go to law school. I decided to go to law school because I wasn't sure what else to do. Went to law school with no intent of practicing law. I was going to see if I could actually take school seriously and see how well I could do. But then once I got to law school, I I did very well, surprising to me, and uh, and then got excited about the opportunity to get into a courtroom, which I did after my first year. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it was like. I was able to get away from the books and the tedium and the drudgery of school. So you're, you were an attorney for the greater part of how many years? Oh, 25. 25. Yeah. So we go from, we go from a series of odd jobs to park service, to attorney, um, partner at a law firm. And then something happens or maybe nothing happened, but what caused you to go, I would like to now go back to school to become a therapist. It was actually a personal venture. It was a matter of trying to figure out myself and people like me and, and okay. just explain my, my childhood to myself. Um, I was driving home from work one day while I was still at the law firm, and there was a, a digital advertisement outside of a college of osteopathic medicine not far from where I live, and they were advertising their counseling psychology program. Hmm. 
And that I saw that and just immediately, that's exactly what I knew I, I wanted to do and what I needed to do. And that started, you had to then go to school for how many years? Well, I did a part-time master's program. It took me uh, about three and a half years. And while you were a partner at a law firm? I went to the managing partner to the new firm and said, I can't do this full time. I have some personal issues that need attention. I want to go part-time for a year. And again, yeah, I didn't reveal that to anybody. But after a few years, I You hit it. And you told me that you (laughs) had like in your office, it was like your secretary or your executive assistant is what we would call them now. Your executive assistant was like in the know, but pretty much that was it. And you guys basically like covered you while you were either out in the field getting your hours or before that when you were actually in class. Yeah, that was that's that's true. I didn't want it to be known. Uh, I was afraid of what uh, the ramifications might be. So what I did was I got a little, um, you know, a little kind of a hanger, uh, a a spring bar, and I got a table runner and I used that like a like a uh, like a a shade and I hung it over the window and no one ever said anything. So and now, uh, like fast forward, you've been a you've been a therapist, uh, a counselor for the, the last couple of years, as I mentioned in the in the beginning, you know, I look at beyond your professional career and how you were able to make a living. Um, but I think about all the things that I've watched you dip your toe into over the last 30 years, the hobbies and personal pursuits. Um, I mean, aspiring cowboy, as I mentioned, um, a tennis pro is probably another one. Um, horse rescuer, uh, uh, you know, um, when I say horse rescuer, I'll just let people know. Um, now, we are not a horse family in the way that you are thinking about a horse family. I did not grow up doing equestrian and jumping horses and wearing wearing my, my you know, knee-high boots and my helmet. And No. Um, however, my family did own a horse. But it was in the later part of my life, and uh, she became part of the family. Her name was Diva. Tell me about that. Like, what? T- tell me about that story at a high level. Well, I had uh, I had always had an interest in horses. I think I grew up watching too many cowboy movies. I was always attracted to them. Uh, your mom reminds me that I I didn't remember this, but she said the first time we met, I told her that someday I was going to own a horse. Uh, and I did. I kind of always had that as a, kind of a bucket list item or a life list item. Uh, and so I started hanging around at a stable up in the county, uh, a 40 minute ride from home. And then uh, eventually the guy who ran the place used to bark at me uh, like he'd bark at everybody. Why don't I get a horse? And I finally got up the courage and the the, the motions. I'm sitting there with my paddle with somebody's doing the bibbidi but even You had an actual paddle. I had a paddle. I was signed I up and oh, yeah. That. And so the horse was brought down a runway and uh, made to do turns and And there's a guy here but this is here Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And so I finally Sold. end up I did. I got a horse. I do I would like to show a before and after oh. um comparison like on Instagram because like my dad rescued this horse. It was like emaciated and like literally I, you would think like 
there's no no good is going to come in this next stage for this horse. And when my dad was finished with her, like, oh my gosh, like it looked like a completely different horse, looked like a stallion. And her name was Diva. One hot that, diva was a registered name. One hot diva that my dad, by the way, did not <laughs> name. That was the given name. Um, so yeah, aspiring cowboy horse rescuer. Um, and then recently, uh, or at least, you know, for a long time, you were uh, pretty involved in the Catholic church and more recently, uh, a local Episcopalian church. I mean, I very quickly realized that I found a home there. It was not only the message that they, uh, that they brought, uh, the rector at this church is a younger fellow who just speaks to me and was a big breath of fresh air. But more than anything else, it's got a real spirit of community that was uh, yeah. that was really, uh, really important to me. Well, I don't know if you've listened recently, but how do you feel about the fact that I am like pretty much Jewish now? Uh, well, I, I, I've heard the rabbi. Uh, and as I think I told you after I heard uh, the podcast, he's a fellow that I, I would love to be friends with and have access to uh, a lot of wisdom uh, and uh, just a, a, a good soul. I mean, it just comes through. Yeah. You know, getting back to your hobbies, I mean, in recent years, you've had this kind of like this little twinkle in your eye, this like zest for, I, and I think I, I think I, now I am being your daughter and you are my dad, um, but I take after you in the sense that I have always had a wanderlust and a, drive to to seek out new things and try new experiences and try and become proficient in them and then kind of go okay like what's next mm -hmm. and I don't know what that is I think at least for me it's I evolved into an adult that did not fear failure and was willing to take risks um I get bored easily so I only kind of I hit a certain threshold and then I go, okay, I, I want to try something new. And then I'm super curious and I like to challenge myself. So and I've watched you do that. Well, I think that's something we share. I mean, I've always been curious. Um, and I think I had the benefit of not having a lot of expectations placed on me, not having a lot of people tell me this is the path you're supposed to take or this is what you're supposed to do with your life. Um, so it took me a while to kind of figure out and, and gain confidence enough where, like you said, failure wasn't going to be too frightening or going to be too restrictive. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed just looking around to see what there was. Um, I think some of, for me, I think some of my dabbling in things kind of, it may come out of a, a, a performance-based thing. I want to see if I can do something. It was like school for me. I mean, I was stunned when I turned out to be a good student. But I think more than that, it's the idea that there were no set paths for me. I mean, it was uncomfortable at times to watch people that I grew up with establish careers and, and, and families, some who did it early, who went right through school, right into a very uh, straight line path. Uh, but I had, and, and it was uncomfortable at times to watch that and question myself. But as I got older, I never have regretted the, the, the path that I, that I didn't take. And mm -hmm. I've never regretted the path that I did take. And yeah, you used, uh, it wasn't a straight line. Variegated is a word I've used at times. Very, what? Variegated. That means uh, ridges and hills. Nonlinear. Ripples, nonlinear. Yeah, but ripples, just up and down. You know, just, just a, a different kind of path. Think of uh, the crest of a wave and just, you know, just kind of moving water. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not smooth. Right. Not smooth. Got it. It's been really fun to watch you be so playful in your mature years uh 
I'm not calling you old. I'm just saying like you are more mature years of, of late. I'm experienced. Um, and to, to just see you be just as playful, if not more so, and, and open to new adventures than, um, you know, I've seen you be in a long time. And so it's really fun to watch. Well, let me say this then. What you've talked about in terms of me in my older years uh, becoming more active in seeking out things and trying new experiences, that's because as I've gotten older, I've had to take time more seriously. And I've had to take certain aspects of my life more seriously. So I think it's partly that focus. There's playfulness, absolutely. But it's also a recognition that this is my life and it's finite. And if I have an interest in these things, if I'm not going to pursue it now, when am I going to do it? So, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that that falls into the message that you're providing people now. Which is what? Which is no time to waste. Yeah, no time to Maximize waste. your moments. Yeah. Focus yeah. on on gratitude, human connection, and joy. Oh, look at this. He's like, you know, if you would like to apply to become a brand ambassador, uh, like my mom is, because um, I just sent her a package with more stickers because she apparently hands them out to everyone in suburban Philadelphia that she meets. Um, you know, you can apply. I haven't filled out a form yet uh, or created a form yet, but you can fill it out. Um, but yes, I, you know, I think the closer we get to death, um, the more aware we are of our, you know, uh, that, that finiteness, um, that realization that, uh, you know, death is the, the only universal inevitability, um, for all of us. And it's very natural for us as humans to avoid the topic or shut out the idea from our heads because it goes against, um, our, our very nature, um, in terms of, uh, being built to survive. And it creates, you know, a lot of existential fear, especially if you spend the majority of your life uh, avoiding thinking about it, talking about it, um, planning for it. Um, and, you know, what I'm trying to do, as you mentioned, is uh, ideally wake people up without having to go through what I'm going through now or going through a tragic loss or a death or uh, a diagnosis. Do I think about this podcast and go, how cool would it be if I have a recorded conversation <laughs> with my dad that's going to like live on forever? <laughs> but in addition to that, just know that like for anyone that's listening, it doesn't mean that my bar is so low that I'm now just going to like start grabbing like all of my family and all of my friends and being like, I'm just going to like interview people that like I've, I want to capture conversation with. No. My dad really, he really does live like there's no time to waste. And he has um, for a long time now. So no time to waste, you know, what does that, like, what does that mean to you? I mean, you're, you're living it. I think, I think you're living it, but. I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to. And I think it, 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 for me, it means all the things that you've mentioned, including leaving things a bit better. Um, and I think that the work that I did in my training and just life experience uh, that led me into the counseling work, seeing how often we get in our own way, we allow fear to bring us down and keep us from things. We don't live fully. We don't live um, in, a, in a whole way. Uh, we don't bring ourselves to the present. We don't show up in, in a lot of ways. 
Um, yeah, I, I've tried to uh, do a better job of that in my life. Uh, and I've tried to explore, I, I, guess, I, I guess I've become more aware of how many people struggle with that mm. and how well and how fully and how happily people respond when they get to see that and, and see opportunities and possibilities they didn't recognize whether it's the motivation, whether it's the example, um, whatever it, it is that they see. Um, so I've, I've found a lot of satisfaction in reaching out to people through the, the counseling work. But, but to get back to the idea of no time to waste, yeah, the idea of living without regrets um, and trying to maximize moments. That's, for me, it, it's been a matter of just learning how to open myself up more. You know, the, the bad days come but not staying in them. Uh, the, the, the anxious thoughts can sometimes come and just letting them fall, just letting them slip down and, and move on. Um, those are things that have been really helpful to me. And uh, to the extent that my life brings me satisfaction and hopefully helps others, then that's all I've got and that's all I can do. And that's enough. That's more than enough. And, and I'm thrilled with that. Do you have any fears about this, the future and, and my situation and that right now, logically, you're able to say that and your emotions kind of map to it and you're able to just kind of float with it as Rabbi Leader says, but are you worried about watching me deteriorate and having that erode some of that steadiness? Not worried about because my worry isn't going to change anything. Um, and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen or what it's going to be like, what your experience may be like. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't worry about it. Uh, my faith lets me know that things are going to be okay. Um, my experience, my life tells me I'm going to be okay. Um, the, only, the only fear around it is, um, I, and it's, it, it's, more, it's, not, it's not a fear, it's more concern for you. I think our, one of our jobs in life is to have our hearts broken. I think that's, and, and they get repaired and broken again and then repaired and broken again. And eventually we learn that they're not meant to be fixed totally. I don't think life gives us that. And that's okay. Um, that heartbreak is precious to me because that's the love. Uh, so there's not a lot of fear around your disease. Uh, there is concern, there is love, there is a desire to be supportive in whatever way I can. Um, and my heart will be broken. Uh, it, it, it's been breaking. That's okay. I, I can do that. Uh, and, and that to me, that's, that's a richness that I wouldn't trade. Not that I would want it or wish it. And, and I certainly wish a different life for you. Um, and, uh, and for my experience, maybe uh, around that, but you know, no, that that's okay. It, it, it's okay. So I think I've kind of mixed a couple of messages in there, but the bottom line is, no, I don't have fear around it other than um, just concern for you and, and for your, your experience. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, as I've told you and the rest of our family before, like, you know, I want to just like, go for broke and like go do everything and then have have it be a very fast decline like i want to go do what i feel like doing and and hopefully like maximize those moments and then i want it to get some sort of signal that says like okay that's it and be like okay this is it 
you know, and shut it down. Um, Mm -hmm. What I don't want is, and what I have fears around is a mental deterioration that is slow and a physical deterioration that is slow and, you know, I don't know which is worse, probably mental, but uh, it's just the unknown. And I keep trying to tell myself and I'm working on being like, okay, like, I don't know what's going to happen. None of us know what's going to happen, you know, and finding out more information about what are the possible, what are are the possibilities of where this could go? And let's talk about all of that. Like I'm, I'm realizing is not helpful um, for me because it, it creates um, images in my head that, that are haunting. Do do you find much peace or or comfort in the ideas that uh, uh, Rabbi Leader talked about, which, which my life experience confirm and I've been around, uh, you know, final illnesses and so on, that the disease will carry you, uh, that it will have you in a place where it's going to be okay, where, um, you know, you're going to come to be, you're going to come to a point where you're going to learn to accommodate things in a way that's going to be okay. I think I'm just still, I mean, that's where, right, grief is not linear, just like your path. And, you know, there are things that I accept and I feel like I have accepted over the last two and a half years. And there are other things that I'm just like, I'm working on it. I'm I'm actively working on it, but no, I'm not there yet. And yeah, the idea of this whole situation feeling real isn't, isn't a frequent visitor right now because I physically feel okay. And so it doesn't map. And no, I, I, I'm not on board yet. And um, my hope is that by taking kind of the recommendation of friends who are sort of in the medical field and from kind of my team that by having hard conversations in the coming weeks with with family and with my partner that I will be able to face more because I will know that like I have got my shit together and nothing's going to jump up and surprise me. Like I'm going to be okay with anything that happens. I won't have to fear that because I will go, Oh gosh, I didn't get to do X, Y, and Z. I didn't set up X, Y, and Z. I didn't check on those things. Like, I need to get all that stuff in order, I think, in order for me to move to the next stage and like really start to think about and accept the the possible path for what this looks like at the end. And and hopefully that's not for a couple of years, but I have no guarantees. Um, yeah. I get that. There are no guarantees. Yep. No. Nope. Um but in the meantime, the message that you are conveying, um, the message that you are putting out there in, a, in an interesting way and, and with really, as you describe in your podcast, uh, you know, just exceptional human beings uh, in, in one way or multiple ways, um, you know, is, is resonating. Um, somebody just mentioned to me this morning. Um, that uh, when you travel to Philadelphia uh, in the near future, if that works out, that there's someone who would love a a way to connect with you because of how helpful you have been to someone in his family Hmm. who's going through a terminal illness. That's great. And and continues to to follow the podcast and follow your writings. And uh, yeah, but, but the idea that 
he he learned um, that that you were going to be in Philadelphia possibly, and you know not a demand, but just if it ever worked out. But my point is that you're you're touching a number, you're touching a lot of people, um, and so I hope that that brings you the peace that you've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, it does, motive, yeah. It does, and it also makes me think. Well, shoot, I'm paying for the podcast myself. I have no income. Should we do like a paid meet and greet in Philadelphia? Should we like charge? I don't know. Like, what do we think? Like 50 bucks a ticket? A hundred? Well, would someone, would someone spend $500? It depends on the catering. Me? I know, the right? Quality of the catering. Well, yeah. the food. Okay. If it's food, it's definitely, we're talking a minimum of like $75 a head. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't have a book, so we can't really call it a book signing. Um, yeah, it would just have to be some sort of a meet and greet. Maybe we'll get a step and repeat, which is like, you know, the background, the backdrop for like, you know, fancy galas and stuff. We'll get a step Mm -hmm. and repeat. We'll put the no time to waste podcast on it. I'll be there taking photos with people. Um, someone will have to, my sister will probably have to like manage the, um, the receiving line and basically be, be like my handler. As long know. as she has a headset, she'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll scope out the, uh, the, the cogs um, and uh, the economics of that and get back to you with a price point. Um, but thanks for letting me know. <laughs> well, let, let me just, just throw this in. I think I told you before that I didn't start to grow up. I don't think until I hit my early fifties when I actually started going to school for the counseling work when I had to process things and learn a lot that I hadn't up until that point. So we have kind of grown up together in a way. Um, so don't ever doubt that you haven't, don't doubt that you you have taught me as much as I have ever, that you've ever picked up from me or every, anything you've ever taken from me or my life. You have shown me an awful lot. And I have, you know, you have motivated me and you have inspired me. And uh, I have followed your lead in certain ways, but we kind of came up together in, in a way. So I was exploring things in the same way, and in a way at the same time you were in, in terms of my later life. So yeah, it, it's a pleasure to kind of do that together. It's a pleasure and a joy watching you do that. And I get pleasure out of you looking at me and finding something that you think is interesting. Uh, you know, so that's that's great. That's an incredible gift to me. Uh, and as 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 a, as a dad and as Frank, yeah. And as anybody that knows me knows, like, there's no handouts here. Like, I would not interview you on the pod. I would not have you as a guest on the pod if I didn't think that you were worthy of being a guest because of the story that I know of you and wanting to share that. So. Maybe it's not just about me hosting the meet and greet in Philadelphia. If we uh, if we push this episode before I get there, we might have to do a dual meet and greet where obviously it's going to be less to see you. But I mean, people, you might like you might reach some level of notoriety after this episode. Well, Can you handle it? Well, I, I just want to know who's going to introduce who. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> look at that. Um, well, I appreciate you taking the time. I, um, I appreciate you as a human and as my dad. Um, and I'm excited to, to, to share 
share this experience with with the world and have you join the ranks of the No Time to Waste podcast guests. Thank you. It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna stay it's gonna stay on iTunes or wherever it lives forever um, or until the machines take over. Well, this has been a real uh, interesting experience, and it's been a hoot. It has been, uh, just as you have been a hoot uh, for for your life, um, and and I've, I've enjoyed it. Thanks. Okay, so if you really want to maximize your moments, you could pitch in and help us get the word out. Just rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That's it. Oh, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss future episodes and bonus content. For more motivation, head to notimetowasteproject.com or join the squad on Instagram at no time to waste project. Grazie mille.